All right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Wednesday, September 12th. I'm so excited. This is my second show in two days. Uh, I did a show yesterday morning. Now recording again. It's Wednesday night. Uh, we have about 37 minutes before the noise Nazis come and tell me to be quiet. So we got to get the show done quickly. I'm really excited. Um, I'm, I'm, debuting, I'm debuting two new segments today. I'm so excited. I have things I've never done. Taking some chances. Can't wait. But I want to start with this. I want to start with the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen is a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. I like him. I'm rooting for him. I think Josh Allen is a great person. He's got an incredible arm, a lot of potential. The Bills drafted Josh Allen number seven overall in the NFL draft. And, and again, the, one of the reasons why I like him so much, he's got a big arm. You need that in Buffalo. In Buffalo, it's windy. There's a lot of rain, a lot of snow. You need to have a guy with a lot of arm strength in Buffalo. However, today I feel really, really bad for Josh Allen. Today, Josh Allen was named the starter for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen will start week two against the the, uh, LA Chargers. Oh man, I I, I don't feel good about it at all. I feel very concerned. I'm very worried for Josh Allen. Um, If you're listening, I'm going to assume you've either learned how to drive a car at some point in your life or you're young, you're a kid, and at some point you're going to learn how to drive a car. There are three ways to learn how to drive a car. The first way is the easiest way. You can learn how to drive a car on a automatic transmission, which means there's only two things you have to worry about. You have to worry about the gas pedal and the brake pedal. You go and you stop. It's pretty simple. You got to put the car in reverse sometimes, but it's pretty easy to learn how to drive a car uh, with an automatic transmission. I would compare that to learning how to play quarterback with a really good roster. The better your teammates are, the better your job, the better you're going to do and the easier it is for you to do your job. If you have great wide receivers, a great offensive line, a good running game, a great defense, it's easier to play quarterback. It's the honest truth. That's why, you know, Ben Roethlisberger had a huge advantage coming into the NFL. He dominated as a rookie and won a Super Bowl because he had a great roster around him. Now, the next way to learn how to drive a car is with a manual transmission. It's much more difficult. You know, I learned how to drive at one point and then I had to relearn how to drive when I got a new car. I got a car with a manual transmission and there was just way more moving pieces. It was a lot harder to learn. You had to not only worry about the brakes and the gas, but now you had to worry about a third pedal, the clutch, and you had to change gears. And it was a lot. It was a lot of moving pieces. You're asked to do a lot more. If you're driving a manual, your job is more difficult because it's more complicated. You're being asked to do a lot more as a driver of a car. That is like learning how to play quarterback in the NFL with a bad roster. There's less help around you. you got to do more. It's, it's not impossible. You can do it. But your job is a lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult to learn how to play quarterback when you have a bad roster around you. Now, there's a third way to learn how to drive a car. And I don't advise it. It's not great. You can learn how to drive a car that has no brakes, but it's not going to go very well. It's, it's actually impossible to drive a car without any brakes. I'm sure some commenter is going to find some ways, but if you're teaching a kid who's 16 years old how to drive a car that has no brakes, it's not going to go well. It's going to go awful. The Buffalo Bills not only have a bad roster, so it's already tough, but the Buffalo Bills do not have an offensive line. It's ugly. It's bad. The Buffalo Bills are throwing their rookie quarterback, Josh Allen, to the Wolves. They are not setting him up to be successful. Having no offensive line is like learning how to drive a car that has no brakes. It's impossible. It's not going to go well. It's not going to work out. I do not, do not recommend learning how to drive a manual that has no brakes. It doesn't work. You're going to fail. 
I feel so, so bad for Josh Allen. I do. It sucks. And people are going to argue with me. People are going to say, you know, Josh Allen's just getting a bunch of reps. Josh Allen is learning on the job. No, 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 no. Slow down. Sam Darnold is learning on the job. Sam Darnold is every rep learning from. You can't learn anything when you you're not, don't even have a chance to be successful. Josh Allen is being set up to fail. This is what the Cleveland Browns did last year with Deshaun Kaiser. They threw Deshaun Kaiser to the Wolves. They didn't give him a chance. They said, learn as you go, and he failed. They, they traded him. He didn't work out. If the Buffalo Bills had a great roster, I would support this a lot more. They could play it safe. They could ask very little of Josh Allen. They could run the ball well. They could do what, honestly, the Cowboys did a couple years ago with uh, Dak Prescott. That's actually what the Jaguars do now with Blake Bortles. They hide Blake Bortles' limitations because they have a great roster, great defense, great running game. The problem is the Bills have a bad roster. If the Bills want to be competitive, they're going to have to ask Josh Allen to do things he's not capable of doing. They're going to have to ask him to do too much, and it's not going to go well. He's not ready, and he's not capable. I, I really believe, I think Aaron Rodgers would struggle to win games with the Buffalo Bills roster. Aaron Rodgers would. He'd find some way, but he would struggle. So for you to think that if Aaron Rodgers would struggle with this roster, how in the world do you think a quarterback, a rookie quarterback like Josh Allen is going to be successful with the Buffalo Bills roster? It's not going to work. They do not have an offensive line. That means they have no shot. You're not giving Josh Allen a shot to be successful. There's a chance I'm wrong. I'll admit that. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm not at the Buffalo Bills practice every single day. I can admit that. But I'm pretty confident disaster's coming for Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. It doesn't look good. I watched the preseason. I watched every snap he's taken. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not excited, I should say. And it's, it's really sad. It's so sad. Because if Josh Allen fails, it will not be his fault. He will be the victim of a bad decision by the Bills organization. That is unfortunate. That is sad. Because Josh Allen showed promise. He's shown a guy that could develop into a really good quarterback. The problem is it's just too early. It's not right. Listen to this. The Buffalo Bills' next three games are the Chargers, the, excuse me, the Chargers, the Vikings, and the Packers. Really? Those are playoffs, playoffs, and a potential playoff team. The Chargers, the Vikings, the Packers. Three losses in a row and and three beatdowns. The Bills are going to be 0-4, limping around, just getting destroyed. It's not good. Now, here's what I know is happening right now. I know some Buffalo Bills fan is at home going, Zach! What do you want the Buffalo Bills to do? The Bills have Nathan Peterman. Would you rather the Bills play Nathan Peterman? (sighs) Well, okay. There are only two quarterbacks on the Buffalo Bills roster. They have second-year quarterback Nathan Peterman and rookie quarterback Josh Allen. The thing everybody's missing, do not forget the Buffalo Bills created this situation. The reason why the Buffalo Bills are in this situation is because they traded away Tyrod Taylor. The Bills had... Tyrod Taylor, a borderline franchise quarterback. And the Bills traded Tyrod Taylor to the Browns for a third-round draft pick. They could have had a guy to take all the snaps. They could have had a guy to show Josh Allen the ropes. In fact, that's what the the Browns are doing for their rookie quarterback, Baker Mayfield. (laughs) The Bills had it. They threw it away. Tyrod Taylor is a stable quarterback. He's the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. He could have done the same thing for the Buffalo Bills. I understand 
why Buffalo Bills fans are going to be infuriated. If they had to watch Nathan Peterman throw up all over himself for another week, I would have been frustrated too. I get it. I understand. But Josh Allen isn't ready. Josh Allen is not ready to play. If you ever had Eggs Benedict, Eggs Benedict is a dish my dad makes. In Eggs Benedict, there is a thing called hollandaise sauce. And if you screw up hollandaise sauce, if you take hollandaise sauce out too early, if you take it off, I don't know how you cook it. I have no idea. I've asked my dad this before. If you take it off the, the pot too early, it's ruined. It screws it up. And if you take it off too early, if you, if you take it off prematurely, you'd have to throw it away and start over with a new batch of hollandaise sauce. That is my fear that will happen to Josh Allen. I am afraid that if the Buffalo Bills put out Josh Allen too early, they can ruin him and it's never going to work and they're going to have to start over again in two years. That is my fear with Josh Allen. And the sad thing is, again, Josh Allen has potential. I love the kid. I'm rooting for him. I hope I'm dead wrong with everything I am saying. But I am highly concerned that the Bills are not being smart. I don't know if the owner came down from the top and said something. I don't know what happened. But Josh Allen's not ready to play. And they should not be starting in week two. Especially, again, looking ahead, the Vikings, the Chargers, the Packers, loss, loss, beat down. It's not going to be good. It's going to be ugly. And I don't think you... <laughs> see, people are going to say, oh, again, you got to learn on the job. I fixed my car this, this uh, summer. I changed my starter. The reason why I was able to change my starter and learn as I went was because I had a little bit of knowledge. I already knew how to turn a wrench. I knew what tools I needed. You can't learn on the job if you have no idea what you're doing. I think Josh Allen is just way too beyond his depth. My, my friend Shelby never worked on a car. has no idea what, anything about cars. She couldn't learn as she goes and fix a starter. She doesn't have the base level of knowledge required. I don't think Josh Allen has the base level of knowledge required to learn on the job as a starting quarterback. He's not ready. And so I am so afraid. I am sad. I'm nervous for the Buffalo Bills in week two. They're going to play the Chargers. They're going to get railed, and they're going to give Josh Allen bad habits and ask him to do too much. It's very concerning. I'm really concerned about the Buffalo Bills and their quarterback situation with Josh Allen. All right, we have a great show today. I'm so excited. I'm airing two new segments. Uh, it's called The Deadly Dozen is one of them. The other one is Zach is a Genius. It's me making fun of myself. It's self-deprecating. Um, if you want to make fun of me, look at my shirt. I'm, first, I'm wearing a, a shirt in a long time. I lost a bunch of weight this summer, so this shirt is just too big. I, I need to get some other shirts. It's not great. Um, another thing I can't wait to talk about today, we're gonna, I'm going to rank the college quarterbacks. I'm going to, from an NFL top-down perspective, how do the college quarterbacks look after two weeks? I'm really excited. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube, as well as my best most interesting clips. If you like strong opinion sports as much as I do, help me grow this show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. All right. I'm drink some water first. I got an anecdote today. I'm really excited. I'm going to change my tune on something. And uh, I think it's a long time coming. I really thought hard, long and hard about this. And um, I'm really, it's, a, it's time for me to update a, a thought of mine. I keep saying quarterbacks win games. In fact, that was the thumbnail of my last episode. Um, and, and while that is accurate, I do believe quarterbacks win games. I want to fix the wording a little bit. Because I still believe quarterbacks have the biggest impact on a game. A quarterback impacts a game more than any other position in football. I guarantee that. But to say quarterbacks win games, it's kind of an incomplete statement. And so I just want to throw that one away. Let's scrap it. Let's rephrase it. Let's bring out something new. How about this? You will not win games unless you have a good quarterback. And everybody can agree on that. Quarterback is the most important position in football. I don't know. 
Like the Jaguars and Vikings, they were the best teams, the best, most complete rosters in the entire NFL last year. But they didn't win the Super Bowl. Why? Because they were held back, limited by their quarterbacks, Blake Bortles and Case Keenum. Why did the Eagles win the Super Bowl? Eagles have the best roster in the NFL. They lost Carson Wentz. Why did the Eagles end up winning the Super Bowl? Because their backup quarterback, Nick Foles, played out of his mind. He played at a really high level. For those two games, you know, the, the AFC Championship against the Vikings and the Super Bowl against the Patriots, the Eagles had a great quarterback. I don't know that Nick Foles is a great quarterback every day, but for those two games, he played like an incredible, great quarterback. But I'm watching Russell Wilson get killed in Seattle, and I'm realizing, okay, well, having a great quarterback is not enough. You need to have a good roster. I, I know it's stupid. I'm sorry it's taking me this long. But it's really sad to watch Russell Wilson. He has no help around him. So I want to talk about these are the four things you need to have on your roster in order to win games in the NFL. These are the four things you need to win in the NFL. In no particular order, you need a quarterback, you need an offensive line, you need a coach, and you need a defense. You need those four things. And if you have a great quarterback, you just need a good defense. If you have a great defense, you just need a good quarterback. I mean, we saw, it does balance out. We saw Rex Grossman go to the Super Bowl once because the Bears had the best defense in the NFL and elite defense. Now, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but the better your defense, the less you need from your quarterback. Does that make sense? There's a, a balance in there somewhere. There's the reason why Aaron Rodgers, who's maybe the best quarterback we've ever seen, can win with an average defense. Uh, that's, uh, Drew Brees. Drew Brees doesn't need a top five defense in the NFL. Drew Brees needs a top 15 defense in the NFL because he's a better quarterback. But again, the four things you need in order to win in the NFL, you need a quarterback, you need an offensive line, you need a good coach, and you need a good defense. Those are the four things. And if you want to know how good your quarterback is, you have to ask yourself, how many other teams in the NFL would want your quarterback? For example, how many other fan bases in the NFL wish that Blake Bortles was their quarterback? Not many. That, that's a litmus test right there. If a bunch of other teams would like to have your quarterback, you have a good quarterback. If a bunch of other teams would not like to have your quarterback, a.k.a. Blake Bortles, your quarterback's not great, man. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but that's honest. That's the truth. And there's one other factor. There's the four things. Again, quarterback, offensive line, coach, defense. There's one more factor. It shouldn't matter, but it does. You need to have an owner that does not interfere with football operations. You can't have a crazy, kooky owner that screws everything up. Some people say you need a great owner. I don't buy that. I think you just need an owner that lets the general manager and the coach work. For example, Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owner, he's becoming a better owner because he's not interfering as much anymore. He's letting John Dorsey, the Browns coach, work, or Browns general manager, work. He's letting Hugh Jackson, the Browns coach, stay around. He's letting them learn, letting them develop. I work as an editor. That's the thing I do for a lot of companies. I have a couple of clients. I edit videos for them. And the worst thing you can have as an editor, if you have a client who has no idea about editing, but they try to tell you what they want and they have really no idea and their, their expectations are totally out of whack. And it really what it ends up doing is makes you have a worse product if you're editing a video for someone and they don't know what they're doing. I've made music for some people and the things they ask for are impossible and they have no idea it's impossible because they're out of their depth. If you have an owner that's out of his depth trying to interfere with football and trying to make decisions, that's when you have a problem. Owners are pretty much neutral. They don't play. They don't really make quarterback. They don't make decisions like a general manager or a coach. But if you have a bad owner that interferes, that's kind of kooky and over the top, that's when your owner can affect your outcome with wins and losses. So again, the four things that you need to win games in the NFL. You need a quarterback, an offensive line, a coach, and a defense. And then a little caveat at the end, you can't have a crazy owner that always impacts and affects football games.
Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about coaching trees. I want to compare a coaching tree to a family tree. Because you know there's you know what a coaching tree is. Doug Peterson is in Andy Reid's coaching tree. Doug Peterson was an assistant head, uh, coach for Andy Reid for a long time. That means that you know Andy Reid's at the top, and underneath him there's a bunch of coaches in his coaching tree. Doug Peterson is one of them, the Eagles head coach. Matt Patricia, the Lions' new head coach, is part of Bill Belichick's coaching tree. And I would liken a coaching tree to a relationship like a father-son relationship. And if you look at a dad, a dad who's really successful, your dad's a great doctor, you kind of assume, oh, the kid will probably be successful. But we mistake good for the same all the time. They're not equivalent. Being good does not mean you are the same as your dad. You shouldn't be a carbon copy of your dad. Again, if your dad is a successful doctor, for example, there are valuable lessons you can learn from your dad. You can learn principles. You can learn beliefs, such as work ethic or people skills, how you treat your employees. But you're not your dad. You should not copy your dad. You just got to use the lessons you learned from your dad and use the principles. But you cannot be a carbon copy of your dad. It's interesting. On strong opinion sports, I'm just being myself. I might remind you of some other people, other broadcasters, but ultimately, I'm just being myself. You can watch my Instagram story. I, I'm not hiding anything. I'm authentic. I'm who I am. And this wouldn't work if I was just trying to copy other people. It wouldn't make sense. You, you'd pick up on it. It wouldn't work very well. This is the same exact thing with NFL coaches. You got to be yourself. You can't always try to copy somebody else. So Matt Patricia is the, uh, is the current head coach of the Detroit Lions. He once was an assistant of Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's coaching tree is not very good. If you look around, none of Bill Belichick's former assistants are great NFL head coaches and not have not been very successful. Do you know why Bill Belichick's former assistants all fail? It's because they're trying too hard to be a carbon copy of Bill Belichick. Hey, newsflash, the Patriot way only works if you're in New England. It only works if you're Bill Belichick. The Patriot way does not work in Detroit. It does not work in Cleveland. It does not work in New York. Every time one of Bill Belichick's assistant coaches is hired, I hear the same thing. It's always, we're going to copy what New England does. We're going to make the Patriot way work in this new city. No, again, the Patriot way only works if you're Bill Belichick. It only works in New England. You have to be yourself. There's a concern I have with Matt Patricia. It's because he's not being himself. Everyone's talking, you know, coaching tree, this. It's not about who his mentor was. It's about what Matt Patricia's trying to do. Matt Patricia's trying to be a carbon copy of Bill Belichick. That approach will not work. You got to take the principles, the values you learn from your mentor and put your own spin on it. Be your own version. And you have to realize, you have to acknowledge around the NFL, people and players do not like the quote, Patriot way. It's a turnoff to players. It does not excite them. You know, Matt Patricia is struggling with the Lions. It's already one game in, got destroyed by the Jets. There are now reports that the Lions don't like Matt Patricia. They have a lot of conflict there. They're frustrated with him. If I was Matt Patricia, if I was a head coach for the Detroit Lions or a former assistant coach of Bill Belichick, if I was once mentored by Bill Belichick and now I was becoming a head coach, here's what I would tell my players. I'd say, screw Bill Belichick. Screw the Patriots. We are not the Patriots. I learned some good stuff under Bill Belichick. I learned a bunch of principles, a bunch of values. But I'm here to do it my way. I'm going to put my own spin on it. We won a ton of games. It was really fun. But I'm Matt Patricia. I'm not Bill Belichick. We are not the Patriots. We are the Detroit Lions. We're going to do it our way. We're not going to copy the Patriots. 
If you're always paralyzed by trying to be a carbon copy of somebody else, you will fail. You got to be yourself. You got to be authentic. So that is why Bill Belichick assistant coaches fail when they get head coaching jobs. That is why Bill Belichick's coaching tree is not very successful. They always try to be a carbon copy of Bill Belichick. It does not work. Because rather than putting their own principles and putting their own spins on it, they just try to copy Bill Belichick. Look, Bill Belichick has five Super Bowls. He's unbelievable. But the rules are different for Bill Belichick. Again, he has that level of success. He can do whatever he wants. Hey, this will shock you, but guess what? Matt Patricia is not Bill Belichick. He can't do things the same way because he doesn't have the same equity. He doesn't have five Super Bowls. And if Bill Belichick, excuse me, if Matt Patricia, the Lions head coach, tries to copy the Patriots, he will fail. He's got to find a way to be himself and do it his own way. Put his own spin on it. Look, learn, the, learn the things. Take away from the things you learned from Bill Belichick. Learn, take the values. Take the tricks of the trade. But Matt Patricia has to do it his own way. He cannot always be attempting to copy the New England Patriots. All right. Speaking about putting your own spin on things, I want to do a new segment I've never done before. I'm really, really excited. This segment is called My Deadly Dozen. This is, you know, some people do NFL power rankings. They do like, these are my top 10 NFL teams. Uh, I want to do my own thing. What I would like to do now is every Wednesday, predict the NFL playoff picture. It's called the Deadly Dozen, which means you have six teams in the AFC, the, the four that win their division and two wildcard teams, and six teams from the NFC. These are not the top 12 teams in the NFL. These are not even the best teams in the NFL. These are the teams that I think could make the playoffs. It's going to be really interesting. You know, it's only, we're, we're only one week into the NFL season, but I am so excited to see what happens, you know, week eight, nine, ten. As the season progresses, what do we learn? How does this change? But right now it's a prediction show. It'll evolve and develop. I'm really excited. So again, these are not the best teams in the NFL. These are the six teams in the AFC, the six teams in the NFC, I believe right now could make the playoffs. This is my deadly dozen. Let's start in the AFC. In the AFC, the four teams I have winning their division are the New England Patriots, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Jaguars. Look, the Chiefs dominated the Chargers. I was wrong about that one. The, the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC West. The Jaguars have Blake Bortles. So they played really well, but they are the most complete team in the entire AFC. I, I don't know. I think the Steelers are vulnerable. I'm picking the Ravens to win the NFC North, and I was wrong about the Patriots. I said the Patriots are going 9-7. and seven. Ridiculous. Best coach, best quarterback in the NFL. They're going to be fine. Now, my two wild card teams in the AFC, I have the Texans making the playoffs, and I have the Pittsburgh Steelers making the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers tied in one game. They're, the season is not over. They do have Le'Veon Bell holding out, but James Conner really stepped up. John, yeah, James Conner. There's some turmoil in the Steelers organization, but I think they'll be okay. I think they're going to be a wild card team. They're going to figure things out. Big Ben looks a little old, a little bit rusty. I'm not concerned. I think the Steelers eventually are going to make the playoffs. Now, there is a, I want to add a note here. There are two teams on the bubble I left out. The Dolphins look pretty good. They could steal a wild card spot, and the Chargers are in the hunt. I was really discouraged by the way the Chargers got destroyed by the Chiefs. I wanted Phillip Rivers to make more plays. He wasn't able to keep up with Patrick Mahomes. It was concerning. So look, the Chiefs, are, I think, are the best team in the AFC West. I think the Chargers are not a playoff team, but they're on the bubble. We'll see what happens. Now in the NFC, the four teams I have winning their division in the NFC, I have the Vikings winning the NFC North. The Eagles are going to win the NFC East. The Rams are going to win the NFC West. And the Falcons, I'm predicting to win the NFC South. Right now, the three best teams in the NFL are the Rams, the Eagles, and the Vikings. They are the three most complete teams. The Jaguars have maybe the fourth best roster in the NFL. The problem is they are held back by their quarterback. We, we learned a lot from the Eagles game. They are un 
believe they're ungodly. They destroyed the Falcons, and I think the Falcons are a playoff team. Now, in the wild card in the NFC, I have the Panthers. I love what Cam did in week one. They ran the ball a lot with Cam Newton. He looks fantastic. He's precise. I'm excited to see how uh, Cam Newton develops. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I really like what Cam Newton's doing. Right now, I think they are a wild card team in the playoffs. And tentatively, I'm not really confident in this. I'm saying the Packers are also a wild card team in the NFC. My concern is, is Aaron Rodgers hurt? Like, I don't know. And if it's not Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, I don't know who the second wild card team is in the NFC. There's so, it's so much competition. I'm not going to go there yet. But right now it's Aaron Rodgers. If he can figure out what's going on with his knee and work out, cool. But I'm concerned. Aaron Rodgers is already hurt, and it's only one week into the NFL season. Right now they're a wild card team. They are not the best team in the NFC North, and they might not even be a playoff team come week 17. Now, who's missing? There's one team missing in the NFC North. I'm leaving the New Orleans Saints out of the playoffs. Their defense was atrocious. They were awful. They gave up five touchdowns to the Buccaneers' backup quarterback last week. It's really scary. The Saints are not a playoff team right now. It's, it's really, really ugly. So that is my Dirty Dozen. I'm really excited. There's a new segment, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. It's, I, think it's, I prefer that to the NFL power ranking because, like, what does a power ranking matter if it's not going to lead to the playoffs? You can have a team. Last year, I remember the Chargers were like fourth in a lot of teams' power rankings, then didn't even make the playoffs. Doesn't really matter. Dirty dozen. I like, see, deadly dozen. I'm excited. I like that better. So that's, that's my new segment I'm really excited about. I want to now shift gears to another new segment, one I've never done before. It is called Zach is a Genius. And it's obviously a joke. It's self deprecating. I'm not a genius all the time, I'm sometimes a genius. Um, but look, sometimes I nail things. And sometimes I have a huge swing and a miss. I want you to imagine me holding like a wiffle ball bat in a backyard. I sometimes take giant swings, completely miss, and I want to acknowledge the things that I miss. My first thing I want to talk about, my big swing and a miss coming into the season is the Saints defense. The Saints defense was atrocious. They look awful. They gave up 529 yards to the Buccaneers, five touchdowns to the Buccaneers, backup quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ugh, it was ugly. It was really, really Really ugly. I totally whiffed on the Saints defense. Now, what did I nail? You know what I nailed? I nailed the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills got creamed in week one. They lost 47-3 to the Baltimore Ravens. It was an ugly, horrifying game. And now it's going to get even worse. The Bills are about to start their rookie quarterback, Josh Allen, in week two. It's going to be really bad. They're going to play the Chargers, the Vikings, the Packers. The Bills are going to start 0-4, probably even worse. I, think, I predict them to go 1-15. I nailed the Buffalo Bills. They are atrocious. They are the worst team in football. Here's something I missed on. I really, really missed on the Eagles and Falcons game on Thursday night football. I figured, I looked out, oh, you know, Nick Foles is starting. He's a backup quarterback, and Matt Ryan has a bunch of new weapons. Steve Sarkeesian going into year two as the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. Yeah, I was wrong on all accounts. I completely underestimated the Eagles. The Rams and the Eagles are the two best teams in the NFL, and the Eagles put the beat down on Matt Ryan and the Falcons. I like the Falcons. I think they're a playoff team, and yet the Eagles completely annihilated the Falcons. It wasn't pretty. Matt Ryan struggled, and the Eagles' defense shined. The Eagles are either the number one or the number two team in football. I cannot wait to see the Rams and the Eagles play eventually this year. You know what I nailed? Here's something I nailed. I nailed it. On Sam Darnold. I was completely right at, you know, I, I swung, I hit a home run. It's way gone. It's completely out of the park. The Jets found their new franchise quarterback. I am so, so excited for Sam Darnold. He's a great kid and uh, he's fantastic. I also found their coach. I want to mention this. The Jets head coach, Todd Bowles, really, really gets his guys to play hard for him. It's awesome. He's a great defensive mind. And uh, man, the Jets defense looks 
fantastic. But again, I nailed it on Sam Darnold. He was the best quarterback in the 2018 draft class, and the Jets have now won New York. They're going to they're gonna overtake the Giants and become the kings of New York for the next 10, 15 years. You know what I missed on? I really missed on the Patriots. It's embarrassing. You know, for months and months, I did not give in to the concern of the— everyone's concerned about the Patriots. I kept saying, no, don't doubt Tom Brady. No, don't doubt Tom Brady. No, don't doubt Tom Brady. I kept saying it over and over again. And like five days before the season started, I got cold feet. It's like, ah, dang it. I shouldn't have given in. I should, why? Why would I give in? I'm so stupid. I picked the, uh, the Patriots to go nine and seven. Oh, I was so wrong. The Patriots have the best coach in the NFL. They have the best quarterback in the NFL. The Patriots are fine. I'm never going to doubt Tom Brady ever again. There are two people you should not doubt in sports. Don't doubt LeBron James. Don't doubt Tom Brady. They defy all logic. You know what I nailed it on? Here's something I nailed it on. I nailed it on Patrick Mahomes. I was so right. Now, now it's not a home run. I didn't hit a home run with Patrick Mahomes because I, you know, I picked the Chiefs to finish second in the AFC West. So it's like a little single. It's not a home run. It's, it's an okay ground ball. But the, Patrick Mahomes shredded the Chargers. I, I called it. I told you everybody. I said Patrick Mahomes is going to be fantastic. I took a chance before the season. Patrick Mahomes had four touchdowns against the Chargers. He was fantastic. Um, he's so much better than Alex Smith, the former quarterback for the Chiefs. It's not even funny. And look, Philip Rivers could not keep up, keep up with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes' offense was incredible. I nailed it with Patrick Mahomes. He's fun to watch. I cannot wait to watch him later this year. So that's, that's the first ever edition of Zach is a genius. Obviously, I'm not a genius. I'm wrong about a lot of things. I miss often. Um, so I remember I either missed it or I nailed it. And I'll get better as we go. I, I really like this segment. I hope I can do this every Wednesday for the rest of the NFL season. I, I really can't wait. I'm really excited. Okay. We have two things left to talk about. And it is getting close to nine. I'm going to have the noise Nazis come any minute. I want to talk about the college quarterbacks after two weeks in college football. I'm going to look at them as NFL prospects. How do they look from a top-down view? We're going to talk about Justin Herbert, Mackenzie Milton, Drew Locke, JT Daniels, Tua Valoa, Jake Brown, a couple more guys. I want to talk about that. But first, I want to say again, um, these are how I would look down from an NFL perspective. And I think it's fair to say next year's NFL draft class, the 2019 NFL draft class, will not be as good of a quarterback class as we had last year. Last year, there were five quarterbacks picked in the first round of the NFL draft. We had Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I think it's reasonable to say three of the five quarterbacks in the 2018 quarterback class are going to be really highly successful down the road. I don't know if there are even three great quarterbacks in the entire 2018, uh, 2019 draft class next year. I don't believe in that. Let's go through the list. I, I want to say this. I watch every game. I study every game. I have football on constantly. The games I don't watch, I record. I don't just say their stats. I had someone comment this week, you know, you're wrong. He's reading stats. No, I watch every game. I put a lot of work into this. This is my pride and joy. I'm not a journalist. These are my opinions, but I do a lot of work for this segment. Let's jump in. Let's talk about first Will Greer, the senior quarterback from West Virginia. This week, Will Greer played Youngtown State. He was 21 for 26. 332 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. But I was really, really impressed from Will Greer. I think right now Will Greer is playing the best of any quarterback in college football. Here's what I like. Will Greer has really good movement in the pocket. Here, my concern is he's still trying to run around too much. He had an interception this week <clears throat> because he rolled out left, tried to do too much, tried to extend the play. It doesn't work. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not Jimmy Garoppolo. He's not Sam Darnold. Will Greer needs to stay in the pocket. Move around, slide around, learn from Tom Brady. Don't run. 
Will Greer is not a guy that can extend plays and win that way. He does not do very well extending plays and running. He needs to move around in the pocket. Now, Will Greer has average arm strength. No concern at all. He's good enough. There's a baseline you need in the NFL. Will Greer has that. I don't really love Will Greer in Buffalo or Cleveland, but Will Greer can play in the NFL. His arm strength is good enough. Here's why Will Greer's arm is good enough. It's his accuracy and his anticipation. He's fine because his timing is really good. He's got a strong enough arm. He's got like a Ryan Tannehill, Andy Dalton level arm. Will Greer is an NFL quarterback. I'm really excited to watch him. Now, he's super accurate on his third and fourth read. So Will Greer, it's really easy to make a completion when you're looking at your first read. The concern is, can a guy be accurate on the third read, the fourth read, as he goes through his progressions? Will Greer is incredibly good as he goes through his reads. I love Will Greer. It's rare for a college quarterback. Super encouraging. I would really hope the Patriots find a way to draft Will Greer because he would work so well in their system. So again, he's got to stay in the pocket. Um, And his game next week was canceled against North Carolina State uh, due to the weather. So week 10, week 11, week 12, that is when we're going to see the most of Will Greer. He plays TCU, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma. And uh, he should dominate until week 10, 11, 12. Week 10, 11, 12, we're going to learn the most about Will Greer when he plays those three teams. I'm really excited. I want to shift gears now to Drew Locke. Drew Locke is the senior quarterback from Missouri. Played Wyoming this week. He was 33 for 45, 398 yards, four touchdowns passing, no interceptions. Let, let's be very honest about, Will, about Drew Locke. Drew Locke has the best arm in all of college football. He's got great arm strength. He's really accurate. Now, here's my question. Can he read a defense? I don't know. I think so. He did well last year. But I'm really curious to see how Drew Locke does against SEC defenses, against top-level defenses with great athletes. I have not seen once Drew Locke have to come off of his first read, go to his second and third. He's usually throwing to the first guy on his read. Everyone's open. Um, I'm really curious to see how Will Greer does later in the progression. Will Greer, Drew Locke. Keep saying Will Greer. I mean Drew Locke. Drew Locke has had two easy games to start the year. Now, week four, he plays Georgia. Week six, he plays Alabama. Week nine, he plays Florida. Those are the matchups I want to see from Drew Locke. How does he play against top-level defenses in the SEC? I'm not expecting Will Greer to, uh, Drew Locke to win. I don't think Drew Locke's going to win a ton of games at Missouri. He'll win some. He's won two already. Um, but Drew Locke, the thing I'm really curious to see is how does he play against SEC defenses? What is his decision-making process? Is he accurate from the second read, the third read, and the fourth read? Can he go through progressions and maintain his level of accuracy? He has the best arm in college football, but I want to see more from a decision-making process. Not that he's done anything wrong. He's just neutral. He's played bad teams, not had to go through progressions very much. So I'm really curious to see Drew Locke down the road. I like him. He's my second-ranked quarterback in college football, um, but we still got, we have to see a lot more from him down the road. Let's talk about Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert is the junior quarterback at Oregon. This week he played Portland State. I had a couple friends playing for Portland State in that game. Um, Justin Herbert was 20 for 26, 250 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, and sadly, week three, he plays San Jose State. So we're not going to see anything real from Justin Herbert until September 22nd when he plays Stanford. Now, I've been pretty hard on Justin Herbert. I live in the Pacific Northwest. Everybody's talking about the Oregon quarterback as if he is... He's the next number one overall pick. Um, I think I'm a little hard on him because of that. I'm skeptical that he's really a number one pick. He's a good quarterback. Um, I just have some concerns. Again, um, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I'm skeptical of him. He runs a college offense. Justin Herbert does not run a lot of NFL plays. Um, And now look, I'll give him some credit. He had a bunch of drops against Bowling Green. He had some more drops this week against Portland State. 
Justin Herbert's receiving core is not very good at Oregon. Um, but still, I, I, I don't know that I've seen enough for him to be. That's a number one pick. We're two weeks in. I want to see a lot more from him down the road. Um, he's only a junior. He's got a lot of time to develop. Now, Justin Herbert has absolutely mastered. He's completely mastered Oregon's offense. The problem is the people around him need to catch up. His receiving core is not very good. His offensive line isn't great. He's got some good players around him, not great. And they're running a lot of the wrong routes. They're dropping stuff. It's not perfect. So I'm still not convinced that Justin Herbert is a number one overall pick. But I have an open mind. I'm willing to listen. And I'm really excited to see Justin Herbert down the road against legitimate college football teams playing in Pac-12 play. Right now, look, he played against Bowling Green and Portland State. It's hard to judge how a quarterback really looks playing in such low levels of competition. Now shift gears to Jake Browning. Jake Browning is the University of Washington quarterback. He is a senior. This week against North Dakota State, uh, he was 23 for 37, had 313 yards, two touchdowns, but also two really concerning interceptions. Um, here's the thing. Jake Browning played a Division I AA school and was not incredibly efficient, was not incredibly dominant, which is not impressive to me. You should dominate North Dakota. That's not great. Uh, Jake Browning's a solid quarterback. He's not elite. He's going to get a shot in the NFL. I do. I, I guarantee that. But I'm not a big believer in Jake Browning. He should have dominated more on Saturday. It's possible that they're coming off of a really tough loss, an emotional loss to Auburn. But right now, I'm not impressed with Jake Browning. I'm, I'm really deflated. I'm disappointed. He's, he's kind of like the Andy Dalton of college football. He's fine. Um, but I don't know that he's at top of a quarterback that can win you games. He can keep you in games, but he's not going to make giant plays at the end of the game in a fourth quarter. It's funny. He had a quote against Auburn in the interview preview. Um, he said, look, I'm not a guy who can win in seven on seven. Well, I hate to say this, but the NFL is basically becoming seven on seven. You need a guy who's got great footwork, who's got an elite level arm, who can make great reads and stuff like that. And Jake Browning simply isn't that guy. Um, so I'm curious to see how does Jake Browning do against Pac-12 teams. But right now, I'm pretty low on Jake Browning. He's like a middle of the pack. I'm going to rank all the quarterbacks at the end. He's like sixth or seventh because he's just not, he doesn't pop. He doesn't really stand out. He's just, he's fine. And that's not good if you're an NFL team. Um, the quarterback I'm really excited to watch at Washington actually is Jacob Eason. He's a transfer from Georgia. Next year, we're going to see Jacob Eason. I think a legitimate NFL quarterback play for Washington. Right now, we're watching Jake Browning, who's a backup, maybe a practice squad player, probably a Canadian football league quarterback. And it's just not going great. Let's talk about JT Daniels. JT Daniels is a true freshman quarterback at USC. Uh, this week against Stanford, JT Daniels struggled. There's no way around it. He was 16 for 34 passing at 215 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, and a fumble lost. Um, he struggled, and I'm not worried at all. <laughs> I, I'm really not worried about JT Daniels. Again, I've said all along, he's a true freshman quarterback. He's going to struggle. He's going to have ugly games, ugly moments. He's growing. He's learning. Um, again, I compare him to Sam Darnold, actually, where Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold looked great week one against the Detroit Lions. He's going to have ugly moments this season. JT Daniels is going to throw interceptions. He's going to have bad games. This is a building year for USC. They're building. They're learning how to play quarterback. Um, and I'll be honest, I watched JT Daniels against Stanford. I was really encouraged. He fought all the way through. He looked really good in the pocket, a good movement. He had some bad throws. He missed some throws behind. He had a, a couple drop passes. But what I like about JT Daniels the most, he kept fighting. And he's going to look at the Stanford game, get a lot of really good film, He's going to impress. He's going to really, really develop as the year goes on. Let's wait to judge JT Daniels. Week 8, 9, 10, he's going to be a much different quarterback 
Then he's been week one against UNLV and now week two against Stanford. JT Daniels will massively improve. And he played Stanford. Stanford, they could win the Pac-12. Stanford's a great football team. So I'm not concerned about JT Daniels whatsoever. It's exactly what I expected from him. I knew he's going to have really big highs and some struggles. He's going to struggle as the year goes on. So we're going to watch USC and Texas next week in the third week of college football. I can't wait to watch. And I'm so excited to see how JT Daniels progresses and learns from his mistakes last week against Stanford. Now, let's talk about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the graduate transfer quarterback at LSU. He's a junior eligibility-wise. This week, Joe Burrow was 10 for 20, had 151 yards, two touchdowns passing, no interceptions, and he ran for a touchdown. Here is the caveat. This week, Joe Burrow and LSU played southeastern Louisiana. Uh, he played fine. He played, he played really good. Solid. That's a good, solid SEC performance. The problem is the level of competition was pretty low. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't dominate like I would have liked to see. It's also worth noting LSU was really, really conservative, especially at the end of the game. I don't know why. I have no idea. It's like, do you not believe in Joe Burrow? It was pretty weird. You would think that LSU playing southeast from Louisiana would have really put the pedal to the metal, practiced a lot more stuff. They didn't do that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I love what Joe Burrow does. He understands defenses. I like his ability to check at the line of scrimmage and change the play for LSU. But we're going to learn a lot from Joe Burrow next week. Next week, LSU plays Auburn. And that's when we're really going to see what is he made of. How accurate is he under pressure? How does he handle a pass rush? How good is Joe Burrow's decision-making against a really great SEC defense like Auburn? Um, and, and I'm curious, does the, SEC, does the LSU coaching staff trust Joe Burrow late in the game next week against Auburn? Auburn-LSU next week is the biggest game in college football. I can't wait to watch it. I hope you tune in. And again, remember, Joe Burrow is only a junior. This is his first year starting as a quarterback in college football. He's got a lot of room to grow. I'm really curious to see what happens against LSU, but he's potentially a good NFL quarterback. You just got to give him time to develop. He's, it's his second start ever in college football. Now, Tua Tungvaloa. Tua Tungvaloa. I am so, so excited every single time I watch any footage of Tua. Tua is incredible. He's an Alabama quarterback. He's a sophomore. This week against Arkansas State, he was 13 for 19, 228 yards, four passing touchdowns. Here's the deal. Tua is elite. He is one of the best quarterbacks in college football already. His ability, his arm strength, his accuracy, he's got like a Russell Wilson-like ability to avoid the pass rush. It's incredible. It's funny, you know, one of the commenters on YouTube said, well, you got to remember, he's throwing to the best receivers and best athletes in all of college football. Fine, that's a fair criticism, but I want to acknowledge, look, the teammates he has in Alabama, he's playing with the best running game in college football, incredible athletes, a bunch of five-star athletes, yes, Tua Tungaloa's help around him in Alabama is incredible. But Tua's going to dominate no matter whether, where he plays college football. If he played at Oregon, Auburn, LSU, USC, he could really help Michigan right now. Tua would be dominant no matter where he played. And you got to realize the difference for Alabama. Alabama would have had four years in a row with Jalen Hurts. Four really good years. Maybe would have won a couple more. Maybe would have won a national championship or more. But the difference between... Tua and Jalen Hurts is massive. Tua takes Alabama from having four really good seasons in a row to potentially winning four national championships in a row because you now have an elite quarterback that is really big in big moments and can avoid the rush. Tua is incredible. I would put him maybe as even... He's up there with the top three quarterbacks in all of college football. He's fantastic. His pocket movement's unbelievable. He keeps his eyes downfield. He's accurate going to his second and third reads. 
Again, I want to say Tua might already be the best quarterback in all of college football. He is fantastic. Let's talk about Mackenzie Milton. Mackenzie Milton is the junior quarterback at the University of Central Florida. I had a commenter. He was asking a question. A commenter on YouTube said, why isn't Mackenzie Milton in your you know, college quarterbacks list? Here's the deal. If you ask me, I don't think that Mackenzie Milton is really an NFL quarterback. I know that's not great to hear. It's not exciting. Um, but he's great for college. Mackenzie Milton is a great college quarterback. So was Tim Tebow. So was Johnny Manziel. Having success in college, having good stats, does not mean you're necessarily a great NFL prospect. The problem is Mackenzie Milton does not run an NFL offense. He's not making NFL throws. He's not being asked to make NFL decisions. And another weird concern is Mackenzie Milton runs the ball quite frequently. He's not athletic enough to be a guy who can run the ball at a high level in the NFL. He's maybe like, honestly, a tight end in the NFL. He's not great. For example, here's his stat line last week against South Carolina State. His team dominated. They won like 38 to nothing. But against South Carolina State, Mackenzie Milton was 21 for 39. That's only 53% completion percentage. That's not great. You got to remember, Mackenzie Milton is running a cheap college offense, throwing bubble screens, short passes, a lot of cheap completions, stealing completions here and there. Your completion percentage should be much, much higher when you're running an offense like that, and it wasn't for Mackenzie Milton. He also only had one touchdown, three interceptions. It's ugly. I'm, I didn't look at his rushing stats. I only really care about him as a passer because the truth is Mackenzie Milton is not going to win games as a runner in the NFL. So from an NFL perspective, Mackenzie Milton is not a great prospect. He's not great. He, he, I'm sure he's on an NFL radar somewhere, but he's like a seventh-round pick, maybe an undrafted free agent. The problem is Mackenzie Milton needs to progress as a passer. And I don't know that he's going to do that playing for the University of Central Florida, playing for that offense, playing in the American Conference where he's not challenged a lot by NFL elite players. He's a great guy. I love Mackenzie Milton. I follow him on Instagram. He's an awesome personality. I've loved his interviews, but I don't believe he's an NFL quarterback. I know that's harsh, but he's just not doing NFL things. He's not being asked to make NFL decisions or NFL throws. And Mackenzie Milton is pretty low uh, on an NFL radar because he's not really running an NFL offense. He's not an NFL quarterback. So how about Shea Patterson, the quarterback at Michigan? He is a junior. Um, he was 12 for 17 at 125 yards passing, three touchdowns against, I think it's Western Michigan. Like he's fine. Shea Patterson is highly average. Uh, Michigan does not have a great offensive line, um, but there's not a lot to take away from this week, Shea Patterson. He didn't play a great team. And he's just highly average. He's okay. He's got okay arm strength, okay accuracy. He's an average runner. From an NFL perspective, Shea Patterson's not a great quarterback. It reminds me of like Zach Robinson years ago at Oklahoma State. He's just not an elite quarterback in the NFL. He's just not an NFL player. Now, we'll see. I could be totally wrong. We'll see. We'll learn what happens when he plays Nebraska, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Ohio State. A lot of really good Big Ten teams that Michigan and Shea Patterson are going to play this year. Um, but I'm, I'm not optimistic. Shea Patterson's not really looking like an NFL quarterback. He's a little better. He's somewhere between Jake Browning and Mackenzie Milton. He can throw better than Mackenzie Milton, but <laughs> that's really not saying much. So we're going to learn a lot from him down the road. The last quarterback I want to talk about is, this is the guy that surprised me the most of anybody in college football. This is Steven Montez, the junior quarterback from Colorado. He played a Big Ten team, Nebraska, this week. He was 33 for 50, 351 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. 
what I love about Steven Montez this week against Nebraska, Colorado's coaching staff said, we need you to throw the ball 50 times. We need you to beat Nebraska. And he did. He did. With a minute left, he threw a deep pass. Like he got lucky. Maybe you could say he got lucky, question mark, because he threw a really deep pass. It was caught with a touchdown, caught for a touchdown with like a minute left. But Steven Montez throws the second best deep ball in all of college football. He's fantastic. Drew Locke throws a better deep ball, and then it's Steven Montez. Steven Montez is unbelievable. He's totally underrated. He's on nobody's radar, and he's really, really good. I would actually rank Steven Montez ahead of Justin Herbert. I know that's controversial, but I'm going to take a chance. Steven Montez is making NFL reads, making NFL throws. I really, really am high on Steven Montez. He's only a junior. He's got two years left in college if he stays at the end of this year. And, uh, man, he's an NFL quarterback eventually. I, I, I am so sure of it. Now, one thing we want, I want to see more from with Steven Montez is he's throwing the ball often to his first and second read. He's not, he's, he'll, make, he'll read one defender and throw the ball. He's not going from one to two and then to three, four, and checking down at five. He's often throwing to his first or second read. I want to see Steven Montez go deeper into his progression to really showcase that he's a great NFL quarterback, potentially. But Steven Montez... Is so, so underrated. He should be more recognized by a lot more teams. Steven Montez is fantastic. So let, let's rank all of the college quarterbacks. This is how I would rank the college quarterbacks after two weeks. This is how I would rank them as NFL prospects. The top three are all incredibly tight. The first three quarterbacks are like 1A, 1B, and 1C. I mean, so I'm going to go with Will Greer, the West Virginia quarterback, as the number one quarterback in college football right now. He's just dominant from the pocket. He needs to stop running. But his decision-making is impeccable. He's unbelievable. The second quarterback on my list is Drew Locke. Drew Locke is the Missouri quarterback. A lot of it's just arm talent. His arm is unbelievable. He throws the ball, I think, more accurate and and a lot better than Josh Allen did last year. I just need to see more decision-making from him. It's not bad. He did nothing wrong. I just want to see how Drew Locke does against SEC defenses, how his decision-making process works. Tua Tungavaloa is the third-best quarterback in all of college football already he's a sophomore he is unbelievable i know how controversial that is but look at some point Tua is going to be a number one pick he is fantastic i am so high on Tua. he's great he's really fantastic my fourth quarterback on the list is jared stidham the auburn quarterback i love i love i love his poise in the pocket he's got a great team around him he doesn't need to do a lot frankly because his roster's so good uh, but he's going to win a lot of games and he's going to deliver like he has all year so far when it's required. He delivered in the Washington game. We'll see against LSU how he plays, but I am really high on Jarrett Stidham. Now, my fifth quarterback on the list, this is where it gets most controversial. This is where Oregon fans are going to be really mad at me. I'm putting Steven Montez, Colorado's quarterback, ahead of Justin Herbert. Steven Montez is the fifth quarterback, the fifth best NFL prospect in all of college football at the quarterback position. He's under the radar, man. It's, I know it's hard to find footage of Steven Montez. He's a Pac-12 quarterback at Colorado. Steven Montez is making NFL throws. He's unbelievable. Justin Herbert is my sixth-ranked quarterback on the list. A lot of people say he's a number one pick. I'm not buying it. And there's no knock on him, right? He's going to play a lot of tougher teams later in the year. We'll see what happens. But he's not running an NFL offense. Um, and he's, he's a, I just I haven't seen a lot, enough from him to go, yeah, Justin Herbert, clearly, number one pick. I know Oregon fans hate that. But that's how I see it. He's really talented. I like him. I just don't love him. The seventh-ranked quarterback in all of college football, I'm going to put Jake Browning, the Washington quarterback. He's highly average, but he's solid. He can play. He'll get a shot at the NFL. But he's really, you know, a fifth, sixth, seventh, probably undrafted pick. He's something somewhere in there. And he might not make an NFL roster. He's kind of right on the bubble. So we will see what happens with Jake Browning. Now, 
Joe Burrow is my eighth best quarterback in all of college football. I actually like him better as an NFL prospect than Jake Browning. I've already seen enough from Jake Browning. I know he's not there. I probably should have ranked Joe Burrow higher than jo- than uh, jo- I should have ranked Joe Burrow higher than Jake Browning. But we just haven't seen enough from Joe Burrow. Hey, I love his potential. I think he's got a higher ceiling than a guy like Jake Browning. But we'll see. LSU next week is a huge test. We'll see how Joe Burrow does. My ninth-ranked quarterback is Shea Patterson. Look, he's just, he needs to develop. He's not there yet. My 10th-ranked quarterback, Mackenzie Milton, the UFC quarterback, UCF quarterback, excuse me. Um, he's not an NFL passer. He's not an NFL runner. And if you take away Mackenzie Milton's running stats, what does he do? He's a bad NFL passer. He's not a great quarterback, not really an NFL prospect. My 11th-ranked prospect in all of college football right now, these are from the ones I've looked at at least. I have JT Daniels. JT Daniels, I like him. I just think he's young. He's a true freshman. We got to see a lot more from him. He's on the list because, you know, I mean, if I'm going to talk about him, I might as well put him on the list. Um, but he's got a lot of growth to do before he's really, truly an NFL prospect. Another quarterback you need to think about, uh, I might add him to the list next week, is Adrian Martinez, the true freshman quarterback at Nebraska. He looks like an NFL quarterback. His uh, poise in the pocket's incredible. I watched that Colorado-Nebraska game. Oh, my Goodness, Adrian Martinez should be on more people's radar. He's only a true freshman. He's 18 years old, and wow, can he play. So that is how I, what I make of the college quarterbacks after just two weeks in the NFL. We have one topic left I want to talk about. Jesus, it is 9-18. I'm going to get the noise Nazis any minute. They are going to hate me. Um, I want to talk about the Raiders. The Raiders signed their receiver, Martavis Bryant, to a one-year deal. And it's really, this is a weird story to me because the Raiders... Just cut Martavis Bryant. I did a whole topic about it. I talked about how Martavis Bryant, they called him the white tiger, and he's just really inconsistent. And it was really sad. And I just, I, I read this news story today and was like, what, what do I make about this? What, what do I think of this? I don't, I honestly don't know. I'm really conflicted. I was like, does it show that the Raiders are really dysfunctional? Does it show that John Gruden and uh, Reggie McKenzie just don't get along? The, the general manager for the Raiders and John Gruden? Is it the Raiders making a mistake? And I, here's my final takeaway on the Raiders right now. We need to give the Raiders time. John Gruden and the Raiders are still figuring things out. It's okay. They're, they're, they're just going to struggle this year. It's, I just You need to give the Raiders patience. They did not look great at the second half against the Rams. I think they got outcoached. John Gruden needs to use, learn how to use the NFL equipment and make better adjustments at halftime. Uh, I just think we need to give John Gruden and the Raiders a year of patience. The Raiders are rebuilding. They're going to struggle this year. They have a lot of work to do. I think John Gruden is going to work out eventually with the Raiders, but I would not expect too much just yet in year one. That's my takeaway. I know I read a, it was a confusing story when I was like, they re-signed Martavis Bryant. They just released him. That's so weird. Um, but that's because the Raiders right now are going through a lot. They, they are really finding their identity as a franchise. They're figuring out how to win again. And the Raiders are rebuilding. Give them time. Give them patience. All right, guys, that is all I have. Thank you so very much. I'm so sorry to the people outside. They probably hate, everyone on my hall probably hates me. Um, but remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, help me grow this show by telling your friends about it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow the show by telling your friends about it. My name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday. I'll record earlier in the day. So everyone listening outside... I'm sorry, noise Nazis. I apologize. So thank you so much for listening. We are done. Ba-dum-bum-bam. We are done.